the voices of President Harry S. Truman, Director of National Intelligence John Radcliffe, and nuclear physicist Stanton T. Friedman on this week's edition of Hear It Now. The whole area is receiving this broadcast. This message will be repeated in 10 seconds. July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Oh, yes, we discussed it at every conference that we had with the military. Uh, flying saucers and we've had other things, you know. There are thousands of stars within 100 light years. The galaxy is maybe 80, I should say 80,000 light years across, we're saying now. Are we the big shots? Have we been around the longest? Are we the smartest? Come on. Biograph Company, LLC, through affiliated broadcast radio stations and online media platforms worldwide, presents a document for air based on the news and the people who made it. All the voices and sounds you will hear are real and presented as they were recorded in the heat and confusion of a world in crisis. It is broadcast in the hope that the collection of these scraps of sound into a weekly recorded history will add another dimension to the understanding of the difficult days ahead. Hello America and the world. With the tumultuous times we are now in, it is hard to believe that this dark time in our country's history will pass. 
but as so many times before, we must believe that history will repeat itself once again and that freedom will win out once again. And with this will bring a brighter future that lies ahead. With this in mind, instead of focusing on the troubles of state, we focus on a news item overlooked. We change the narrative to something that has appeared in the news this week. This would normally affect the entire world just by the acknowledgement of this high-ranking government official. On Maria Bartiromo's Sunday Morning Futures program that aired on Sunday on Fox News Network, amidst the hyperbole and the recent election fraud questions and socialism in America, a curious issue abruptly came up that no one could have anticipated about a soon-to-be declassification of government records on unidentified flying objects. And to her surprise, she got a valid confirmation of this. The person that confirmed it was not just anyone, but the former U.S. Director of National Intelligence, John Ratcliffe, of President Trump's past administration. You have seen in your role the most intelligence that anybody has seen other than the president as the director of national intelligence. And I've been wanting to ask you this next question for a while. I want to ask you about UFOs, unidentified flying objects. Um, the, the Pentagon is going to come out with a report by June 1st and in the $2.3 trillion omnibus appropriations legislation passed in January, it includes the Intelligence Authorization Act, money for the Pentagon to continue investigating UFOs. John, we're going to get this report June 1st. Can you tell us, have unidentified flying objects been seen? Well, sure. We, we have uh, lots of reports about what we call uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon. And this actually um, is a program that's been in place for a few years in terms of a task force that, that has been uh, there under the National Defense Authorization Act. But as you correctly point out, Maria, there's now a report that will be issued by the, by the Pentagon, uh, by the Secretary of Defense and the Director of National Intelligence. I actually wanted to get this information out and declassified before I left office. But we weren't able to get it down into an, uh, an unclassified format that we could talk about uh, quickly enough. But, but frankly, there are a lot more sightings than have been made public. Some of those have been declassified. When we talk about sightings, we're talking about objects that have been seen. Radcliffe states here that the government is putting this news of the existence of unexplainable but factual off-world crafts flying through space into a narrative that will be palatable to the American and even world population. We're talking about objects that have been seen by Navy or Air Force pilots or have been picked up by satellite imagery that, um, frankly, um, engage in actions that are difficult to explain, that um, movements that, uh, that are hard to replicate, that we don't have the technology for, or traveling at speeds that you know, exceed the sound barrier without a, a sonic boom. So, in short, um, things that we are observing that are difficult to explain. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's actually quite a few of those, and I think that that information is being gathered and will, will be put out um, in a way that the American people can see. We always, when we, when we see these things, Maria, we always look for a, a plausible explanation. 
you know, weather can c cause disturbances, visual disturbances. Sometimes we wonder whether or not our adversaries have technologies um, that are a little bit further down the road than we thought or that we realized. There are UARP and UFOs. Radcliffe also discounts that some of these are even our own technology or those of our adversaries. And he goes on without any denial. Now, I'll say it again. This is a confirmation by a high-ranking government official of other life in the universe. There are instances where we don't have good explanations for some of the things that we've seen. And, um, you know, when that information becomes declassified, I'll be able to talk a little bit more about that. And Bartiromo's reaction? <laughs> you can hear Maria Bartiromo's reaction with this news. It would normally make news around the world, and it is not. But we are making it known here. Also, Radcliffe stated that this is all over the world, these sightings, and there are many more encounters that will be made public. There have been sightings all over the world, and, and when we talk about sightings, the other thing I will tell you is um, it's not just a pilot or just uh, a satellite or some um, uh, intelligence collection. Usually we have multiple sensors that are picking up these things. And so, uh, you know, again, some of this are just their unexplained phenomenon. Um, and uh, there's actually quite a few more than have been made public. So I think it'll be healthy for uh, as much of this information to get out there as possible um, so that the American people can see some wow. of the things that, uh, that we've been dealing with. Okay, well. The answer is yes. Two years ago, Hear It Now did an in-depth interview with the late nuclear physicist and scientist Stanton T. Friedman in Roswell, New Mexico, about the reality of life in the universe, which Friedman advocates in a logical, realistic, and scientific manner. Mr. Friedman has the answers, for he has worked deeply within classified projects and with the government in high-ranking scientific endeavors since the 1950s, and we will hear this never-before-heard interview in its entirety next. There are thousands of stars within 100 light years. The galaxy is maybe 80, I should say, 80,000 light years across, we're saying now. Are we the big shots? Have we been around the longest? Are we the smartest? Come on. One of the problems is we got an awful lot of people who are very smart people who say very stupid things that get in the way of progress. That was scientist and author, the late Stanton T. Friedman. For those of you who are unfamiliar with him, we will enlighten you and reflect on Mr. Friedman's life. 
Nuclear physicist lecturer Stanton D. Friedman received his B.S.C. and M.S.C. degrees in physics from the University of Chicago in 1955 and 1956 in his early 20s. For 14 years, he was a pivotal nuclear physicist with programs such as nuclear aircraft, fission and fusion rockets, and various compact nuclear power plants for space and terrestrial applications. Many of these programs were classified. He became interested in UFOs in 1958, slowly gathering information. And Mr. Friedman, how did all of this start? Uh, It's kind of funny. Uh, I was valedictorian in my high school class, Linden, New Jersey, class of 1951. I got out of high school when I was 16. I spent two years at Rutgers University and three at the University of Chicago. Carl Sagan and I were classmates for three years there, went in different directions, but uh, worked my way through college. Didn't I, I got my master's, bachelor's and master's, and I was a good union waiter at a restaurant in Chicago. Served the Nobel Prize winner one time, oh governor. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned a lot about people, too. Uh, when I first met J. Allen Hynek, who had been the Air Force scientific consultant on UFOs for 19 years, his first question was, why don't you get your Ph.D.? He went to the University of Chicago. He's the same age as my father, but not at the same wow. time. And I told him, look, I worked my way through five years of college. I want to get out in the real world. Now, the history of the use of nuclear energy. Now, judging by the academics and the astronomers, they never heard of using nuclear energy for anything useful. We'll talk about fusion rockets and fission rockets, but this would not be a launch vehicle. You'd use it... You'd launch it up into orbit, then you'd turn it on up there. Cut the weight of the rocket to go to Mars by, you can do it with this third, it's three times as efficient. I worked on this program. We built a series of nuclear fission rockets, successfully tested in the late 1960s. And to have a chance to work on something exciting, where they had money to spend on doing the proper experiments, $100 $100 million. We spent one year on the aircraft nuclear propulsion system. I ran experiments down in Texas, uh, other in Idaho, other places. It was great. We had crazy materials, beryllium, beryllium oxide, gadolinium hydride, lithium hydride, you know, weird stuff. Great shielding materials, uh, some of them. Uh, so it was exciting. It was feel like you're in the middle of something that's important and you're working with good people, lots of them. And I was usually the youngest in the group, but that gave me, because I, I hadn't been in the military. Uh, most of the guys in the 50s had been in the military, so they were older than I was, and I was learning. It's nice to have the opportunity to learn from smart people. Aircraft nuclear propulsion was just being, the department was expanding, but in 1958, we employed 3,400 people. 1,100 of them were engineers and scientists. Now, the history of the use of nuclear energy. Now, Judging by the academics and the astronomers, they never heard of using nuclear energy for anything useful. We'll talk about fusion rockets and fission rockets, but this would not be a launch vehicle. You'd use it, you'd launch it up into orbit, then you'd turn it on up there. Cut the weight of the rocket to go to Mars by, you can do it with this third, it's three times as efficient. I worked on this program. We built a series of nuclear fission rockets successfully tested in the late 1960s. Stanton T. Friedman, ahead of his time. 
Freeman stated strong views against the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI, research. Freeman contested the implicit premise of SETI that there has been no extraterrestrial visitation of the planet because it was his claim that the SETI was seeking only signals, not extraterrestrial intelligence or beings. He maintained that the prominence and the widespread public claims of those involved with SETI had tended to prevent serious research, including research by journalists of extraterrestrial life. Freeman's classmate was Carl Sagan at the University of Chicago. Stanton criticized Sagan, a prominent of SETI, for ignoring imperial evidence such as the 600-plus unknowns of the infamous Project Blue Book. What got you really interested in nuclear physics? Uh, I went to the University of Chicago partly because Enrico Fermi was there. Uh, and he got a lot of publicity because of the first atomic bomb and stuff. Uh, he won a Nobel Prize. Also, it's kind of funny, he did his work. They went to get the Nobel Prize in Scandinavia, and they went straight on to the United States because Italy was starting to be Hitlerian approach to the Jews. So isn't it ironic that somebody from Italy winds up being the architect of the American atomic bomb? There were a number of people working on the program who were who left Europe because of Hitler's anti-Semitism. So it, it seems appropriate somehow. There were a lot of programs for the development of advanced nuclear systems. And people say, well, what's the big deal about things nuclear? Well, it's very straightforward. The amount of energy you can put in a small package is very impressive. A little sequence. 1944, a big bomb was a 10-ton blockbuster. Could be carried by a B-29, big airplane for the time, and it would release the energy of 10 tons of dynamite. One bomb. Wow. That was in 1944. 1945, the first atomic bomb, fission device, released the energy of 16,000 tons of dynamite. In 1952, the first H-bomb, fusion device, released the energy of 10 million tons of dynamite. And the Russians tested one, Tsar Bomba, released the energy of 57 million tons of dynamite. One stinking weapon. So the point of this is not to say, oh, terrible nuclear things, but you can also use fission and fusion for propulsion. So it makes the stars within our reach. I worked on a study of fusion propulsion for deep space travel back in 1962. And our conclusion, we only spent it was a $9 million study, small study for the Air Force. Uh, and we concluded, yeah, if you want to spend the dough, you can go. And the fusion part of it, most people seem not to realize that almost all the energy in the universe is produced by nuclear fusion. That's what happens in all the stars. Not just some of them, not just part of them, all of them. And so fusion is very important. We didn't even know there were neutrons until 1932. We didn't find out about fission and fusion until 1938. Didn't test the first fusion device until 1952. You are listening to Hear It Now, a document for ear based on the news and the people who made it. Hear It Now will be right back after a brief pause for station identification.
the late Stanton T. Friedman, nuclear physicist and scientist for extraterrestrial life. He published more than 90 papers and has appeared on hundreds of radio and TV programs, including Larry King and many documentaries. He also was the original non-military scientific civilian investigator of the Roswell Incident and co-authored the book Crash at Corona, The Definitive Study of the Roswell Incident, Top Secret Magic, and his controversial book about Majestic 12, the group established in 1947, invoking former President Harry Truman to deal with alien technology. It was published in 1996 and went through six printings. An expanded new edition was published in 2005. He provided written testimony in the congressional hearings and appeared twice at the United Nations. What was the subject matter? Obviously, it was it was the crash. Uh, well, the, the title is the crash at Corona. It was really the Roswell incident. It actually happened up near t- the town of Corona. Uh, it's interesting. The first United States space spy satellite was the Corona satellite, and I drove cars. I'm a Toyota fan. Driven a number of Coronas, <laughs> and when I was smoking cigars, I smoked. Great, <laughs> small world. My first lecture was in somebody's living room, and I it escalated pretty rapidly. And I talked to uh, well, an important talk was a joint meeting of the sec- local sections of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics and the Electrical Engineering Association (IEEE), and we had over 400 people. The place was packed. And there wasn't one negative question. Then I spoke at the uh, Engineering Society of Detroit. They were sold out three weeks in advance for 1,008 people for dinner and a talk, and there wasn't one negative question. Hey, this is, people are being responsive, accepting. I didn't have to worry about, <laughs> you know, uh, having eggs thrown away. <laughs> and so uh, I spoke at Los Alamos here, the local section of the American Nuclear Society, over 400 people, best crowd they'd had in ages. No negative questions. So I couldn't help but respond to my professional peers, and I was still pretty young, so I respected these guys. And so I found that people were interested, excited, uh, because of the Roswell incident, which I had stumbled into and was investigating. But I was surprised. I I didn't know how I would respond. The first time in front of a 1,000 engineers and scientists giving a lecture on something controversial like flying saucers, these guys going to tear me apart? Are they going to find things that are wrong and so forth? Yeah, for the first year, I didn't worry about it. You know, here I am 700 lectures later. And uh, I, I've only had 11 hecklers, and two of them were drunk, you know. <laughs> and I've had a chance to see the world. 19 countries, 11, uh, 10 provinces, 50 states. So that's exciting. I would never have seen so many places, oh, you places. know. Then you have the question, what would they think of us? We're not nice. And so I've made sure that I get across to people my concern about what kind of, what we're showing our children about how adults should behave. Kill, kill, kill. Exactly. You know, 
the fact that in World War II, we killed 50 million people. We destroyed 1,700 cities bombing. Uh, since the war, we've, I, I checked, and I was surprised myself, that we have exploded, we Earthlings, have exploded 2,000 nuclear weapons. And, you know, what does that tell the rest of the world, the uh, rest of the neighborhood, the neighborhood. <laughs> about us? It's not a good picture. Oh. Uh, people are starving on the planet, but that's okay. They'll spend a trillion dollars this year on things military. As a nuclear physicist, and I spent 14 years of my life working on far-out advanced, classified, eventually canceled government-sponsored research and development programs, I set a record for working on canceled programs, I think. That wasn't my intention, but you study the evidence before you open your mouth. That's not a common rule. There are an awful lot of people saying a lot of stuff who haven't looked at any of the evidence. Don't bother me with the facts. My mind's made up. Here are my four major conclusions after 53 years of study and investigation. One, aliens are visiting Earth. Two, some government people know all about it. No good arguments against one and two, and we're dealing with the biggest story of the millennium. If you were an alien, how do we look to them? A primitive society, our major activity is tribal warfare. This year, the budget for military work is $1 trillion on planet Earth, and yet 25,000 children die each day of preventable disease or starvation. And we will soon be going to the stars using nuclear fusion. That doesn't bode well for them treating us as equal. Um, please join me in welcoming Stan Friedman. Thank you. The essence of science is finding the right evidence relevant to the question at hand. We're not talking beliefs, we're talking about data, evidence, logic, reason, you know, all those things we don't hear enough about in a world in which headlines are what do the talking, not the facts, not the data. So I'll try to make the case that we have evidence that many people aren't aware of, especially the nasty, noisy negativists. I like alliteration, as you can tell. I talk sometimes about fossilized physicists and ancient academics and, you know. Uh, but the key word is evidence. And so what I try to do is take people by the hand and lead them past some of the best evidence that has convinced me that something exciting is going on. So let me put my four conclusions at the beginning of the lecture, after 59 years of study and investigation. First, the evidence is overwhelming that planet Earth is being visited by intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft. In other words, some UFOs are alien spacecraft. Most are not, I don't care about them. Two, the subject of flying saucers, and I, people say, what are you talking about flying saucers? Why don't you say UFOs? Because all flying saucers are UFOs, not all UFOs are flying saucers. All great-grandfathers are men. Not all men are great-grandfathers. So, you know, I happen to be one, incidentally. Uh, so the subject of flying saucers, which I prefer to use, 
you know, intelligently controlled vehicles, not just things that you don't know what they are because they're not close enough or whatever. The subject represents what I call a cosmic Watergate. And I hope most of you remember Watergate. I know it was before some of you were born, but still. A, a high-level official cover-up of significant information. Because some people know about what's going on doesn't mean all do. You've got to be careful. The third conclusion is uh, there are no good arguments against the first two conclusions. <laughs> and the third con uh, fourth conclusion is we're dealing with the biggest story of the millennium. And now it is the year of 2021. We are on the verge of declassifying and discovering the truth about the universe and the truth about ourselves here on Earth. Stanton T. Friedman traveled many a mile on many lectures. He worked very hard at what he did. I knew Stanton, and Mr. Friedman was a wonderful and brilliant man far ahead of his time. He wanted to bring knowledge and logistics to science and to bring us ahead in the evolvement of mankind. So what I'm saying is, with our limited background in advanced technology, we're already at the point where we can talk about going to the stars. One of the problems is we got an awful lot of people who are very smart people who say very stupid things that get in the way of progress. I've heard people say, well, why don't they land and just tell us how to solve all our, our you know, energy problems and all these other You don't give three-year-olds loaded guns to play with. And the Brookings Institute said, it's been speculated that of all groups, scientists and engineers might be the most devastated by the discovery of relatively superior creatures. We thought we were the big shots, and we're not. Too bad. Now, two reasons for the strange views. Smart people believe weird things, namely that no aliens are visited, because they are skilled at defending beliefs they arrived at for non-smart reasons. You have spearheaded so much of development and been involved with so much development of uh, nuclear capability um, to the point of where they would let you. Um, Very frustrating that we didn't build enough things. But I'll tell you, one thing that wasn't frustrating, when I was at Westinghouse Astro Nuclear Lab, we tested the NRX-A6 nuclear rocket reactor propulsion system out at the nuclear test site. Less than eight feet in diameter, 1,100 megawatts. That's half the power of Hoover Dam. And the test was a success. We were worried. <laughs> I was worried. I got asked two weeks before the test, we're not sure about the nuclear heating rates and some of these control materials. Can you run some stuff to get us some data? So we had a facility where we could simulate the reactor, and we got together with people down there, and within four days we had material. And we said, yeah, it'll work. It won't melt. And then when I was listening to the test over the PA system, I suddenly realized if this thing fails, they may blame me because... <laughs>
it didn't fail. It was, it was great. Uh, it was such a great feeling to have accomplished that for our group. And then when the program was canceled less than a year later, that's a real downer, oh. you know. Well, all we had to do was be successful, and we were successful, and they canceled the program. Oh my God. Everything was theoretically on paper. You've got to build equipment. Things can fail. The exhaust temperature of the nuclear rocket was over 4,000 degrees of uh, liquid hydrogen going in, very cold, close to absolute zero, and coming out at over 4,000 degrees. We don't build many things that operate at 4,000 degrees. You know, it's, it's remarkable. So it was so great, and we were successful. Aerojet was successful. Los Alamos was successful. Their system was big, a little bigger than ours. 4,400 megawatts, twice the power of Hoover Dam, nuclear reactor for space propulsion. And they canceled the program. It worked, met all the goals. Too bad. What would you like to see 100 years, 200 years oh. down the road for humanity and how it should evolve in your, in your own point? I would very much like to see our planet realize that despite all the nations, we're all earthlings. That's the first thing. Secondly, we're not the big shots we'd like to think we are. There are people more advanced than we are who have obviously got along farther without destroying themselves. That's a model. Uh, I'd like people to recognize it's a big galaxy, a lot of other galaxies. Very important that we understand our role. There's plenty to learn. We're not the big shots we'd like to think we are. And that spending our money killing people makes no sense at all. We wanted to end our program on Stanton T. Friedman, nuclear physicist and extraterrestrial scientist in this way. Nothing I could do or say could reflect his work. And now, with our future of the discovery of extraterrestrial life in the universe, nothing I could say could do justice to it. So we are going to go back and we are going to listen to what Mr. Friedman said and what his vision of our future was and is. And maybe, just maybe, this world could be a better place. Of course, the astronomers never talk about any of the evidence of aliens visiting. They are, and they don't know. Now, are we ready for a contact? Seems to me you ought to be telling the truth when you start talking about contact. How much are the guys you're talking to are going to trust you if you lie all the time? If you were an alien, you'd be darn well ready to be careful about these earthlings. Do you realize that we have exploded 2,000 nuclear weapons on this planet? Thank goodness only two on people. For the grace of God, I don't, know, I don't know how we avoided more than that. I worry about it for my great-grandson, but it's true. These are the enemies of mankind, arrogance and ignorance.
Hear It Now is produced by Thomas R. Bond. Associate Producers, Frank B. Marks and Lisa M. Bond. Music by Alessandro Sinini. Hear It Now is a Biograph LLC production. <laughs>